Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm porn. Porn, are you sure you're in the right place? Oh yeah, Mac, porn's everywhere. I mean, the right place depends on who you talk to. Hey, what's hey. up, man? <laughs> Good to see All you. Right. <laughs> Some new stuff. Fun. Hey, porn, aren't you a little concerned with the, the damage you're doing to people and their relationships? No way, this is a billion dollar industry full of people who can think for themselves. Besides, I help couples spice up their sex life. Like these two. What's going on, guys? Hey, got a DVD for you. Yeah, all right. Yeah, but you're objectifying women and negatively representing what a healthy sex life looks like. Man, that's all intangible stuff. Let's talk about something we can wrap our arms around. Like locked, how I help you sell more locked, computers. Locked, <laughs> locked, locked, hey, locked, kid, locked, come over here. Locked, locked, hey, let him over. Locked, Psst, locked, kid, locked, check out my space. So, uh, what's with the candy? It's eye candy. Man, everyone needs a little bit before they dive right in. I mean, I'm alright with that because girls are a dime a dozen in my biz. Hey, what's up, girl? Romantic novel for you. Check out page 223. It's gonna spice up your life. Hey, what's up, my man? Got a magazine for you. Have fun tonight. So, uh,. Do you have anything in there for the world's most perfect operating system? Oh yeah, we got a little bit of everything in here. Hey, Pastor, how's it going? Yep, all right, yep, yep, Channel all right. 197, right, yep. 10 p.m. Check it out. Hi, Candy. I should have thought of that. Well, here we are. We find ourselves smack dab in the middle of uh, our teaching series, Bringing Sexy Back, and uh, dealing with an issue pretty straightforward today uh, that we've kind of danced around the last couple of weeks. We've mentioned it. We've alluded to it. We've said the word, and uh, today we're going to talk pretty straightforwardly about, about pornography and uh, an issue that an industry today that's a $57 billion a year industry globally. Where you and I as Americans are the number one producers, consumers, and exporters of pornography. And ladies, do me a favor before you, you, you flip the switch and turn this off and tune this moment out and say, yeah, this is all about my husband. Get him. Um, you need to know something. Do you know that one out of every three people that visit a pornographic website today are women? Yeah. So I want to invite you to have this conversation with us a little bit today. And, and why don't you grab your Bibles, turn over to Job chapter 31. Job chapter 31. If you open your Bible, right in the middle, you'll come to Psalms. Turn just to your left a little bit, you'll find Job. Job chapter 31. And no, you're not going to find the word pornography in the Bible anywhere. And you're not going to find the word internet anywhere in the Bible. But we are going to find principles in God's Word that speak clearly and directly to the heart of what's going on with this issue. You're going to find Job chapter 31, verse 1. A guy in a moment of reflection understands what's happening inside of himself. And he says this, Job 31.1. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Lust isn't just an issue for today with the Internet. Lust has been an issue since Adam's been around. Lust is it's just it's a human condition that we find ourselves in and that we deal with and struggle with for many of us day in and day out. Flip on over to the New Testament. First Corinthians, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 
1 Corinthians over in the New Testament. As you guys are turning there, Job knew something about himself, I think. I think he recognized that the stuff that he put in front of his eyes, the stuff that he allowed himself to look at and expose himself to, did something to him on the inside. It affected his soul. It affected his heart. It affected his mind. It affected what he put his hand to do. But isn't it just, it's, isn't it just an image? It's just a, a, a TV in a hotel room. It's just a computer monitor. It's just a magazine. This is just me. It's just fantasy. It doesn't affect anybody else, does it? Or does it? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul writes this to the church of Corinth. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Run away. Don't make any room for in your life sexual immorality. Not just the person with skin on, but the images on that computer screen, the images on that TV in that hotel room, the images on that magazine. Flee from sexual immorality. Guys, I get that this is a pretty heavy conversation, and a lot of churches just don't tackle this, but we are. You know, we just, this is a big issue in our society, and if we don't talk about it, it's like taking a piece out of the Bible and saying, now we're not gonna, we're gonna set that aside because it's too difficult to talk about. And, and so what we've done in this moment is, is we've invited a, a, a couple of folks to come and, and have a conversation with this. Michael Leahy and Patty Honorado, his ex-wife. Yes, you heard that right ex-wife, uh, are joining us today, and we're going to chat a little bit about their story. You're going to hear Michael and his um, uh, habit of pornography through adolescence and what that turned into with an addiction, how it um, really blew up into a full-fledged affair with skin on, and you're going to hear Patty's side of it, of, of a wife who did her best to try to salvage a marriage and all the pain and stuff that was associated with that moment. Now, years, years, years later, on the flip side, Michael's got a ministry called Brave Hearts. You can actually check it out online. Um, to men and to families and churches and college students actually globally uh, that he goes around and does uh, speaking with him, uh, with his ex-wife. And so we have the luxury of having them here today. They have been, their story's been featured on 2020. It's been featured on The View and all sorts of other media. And I would wonder, would you guys please welcome me in having uh, Patty and Michael make their way to the stage. Would you guys join us, please? Patty, thanks so much for being here. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Michael, glad you're here, man. Thanks. Yeah. Let's jump into this. Um, Fifteen years ago, Patty, you guys had a marriage that, um, from all outside appearances, looked like the marriage anybody would want. You yes. guys had a nice house in the suburb. Your husband had a nice job, mm -hmm. a couple of boys. Um, yes. You guys were active in your church, leaders in your church, even spoke occasionally at your church. Mm -hmm. um, what led to you discovering that Michael was having an affair? Um, some friends of mine took me out one evening because they had prior knowledge. They saw him downtown Atlanta with another woman that particular day, and they took me out, and um, as we were out, instead of just coming right out and telling me that they saw him, Kathy looked at me and she said, I just want you to know, if you tell me your husband's schedule, I can tell you whether he's having an affair or not. Mm -hmm. And the reason she said that was because she had dealt with that herself. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about that thing. I thought, well, that's strange. I don't know why. You know, she was kind of telling a group of us, but um, it sunk in my head. But nothing at home was telling me 
that anything was going wrong mm -hmm. with Michael and I at all. So no clue. No clue. No clue. No clue. And so I left that evening, and it was sort of a dark, kind of a negative undertone, the whole mm -hmm. conversation and everything. So I went home, and I walked in, and I was telling Michael about it. I can remember it so vividly. And I said, um, it was a bad night and that kind of thing. And I said, but Kathy said something really interesting, and, and, and it just prompted me to ask him, I believe, and I believe God intervened and wanted me to ask him, and I, I looked at Michael and I said, um, are you having an affair? And immediately he said yes, and let me say with a great deal of arrogance, mm. and that's how it went from there. Michael, was this an arrogant moment, or was this, oh my goodness, my wife knows I'm caught, I'm exposed, I'm broken, I'm going to come clean, rock bottom, what was happening there? I really was. I mean, I'd, I'd love to say that it was a moment of brokenness, but it was really out of arrogance. Um, I had been seeing this woman for about two and a half months, and um, it, it kind of surprised me that she'd asked me about it, but I was really heavily invested in this, in this um, affair relationship. And so um, I said yes. Now, that wasn't the only thing he said yes to, was it, Patty? There was no. more to the story, wasn't there? Yes. Help us with that a little bit. Okay. What, what happened? Um, after, like I said, he... he he admitted it, and immediately I just fell to my knees once he told me because I thought we had this great marriage going on. We had two children mm -hmm. at that time, 10 and 2. Um, so I thought things were going, you know, really, really good. And about a month after that, trying to fight to keep things moving ahead and trying to keep this lady off our back, and mm -hmm. um, he took me down for a walk at the river. And as we're walking, he said, Patty, I want to, um, I need to tell you something else. I'm thinking, well, bring it on because it cannot absolutely get any worse what, than it already what is. What more could there be? Yeah. I mean, if we're going to yeah. tackle, if I can tackle that lady, I can tackle just about anything. So um, he looked at me and he said, I'm addicted to pornography. And we had never talked about anything like that before. I mean, none of, nothing like that had ever been mentioned in mm -hmm. our, you know, 13, 14 years of marriage. Nothing had ever been talked about. And I, the first thing I thought was, what, it, what does that mean? Yeah. Because 10 years ago, you didn't talk about that subject. Yeah. I mean, nobody talked about it. Much less was your husband going to admit to you that he was addicted to pornography. Yeah. You know, what does that mean? And so okay. it kind of went from there. You didn't give up on your marriage at that point, though, Patty. Uh, you fought for it. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a health and PE teacher, and I coach, so I'm highly competitive, as, as you can tell. And so... Uh, I don't pick up on that at all. <laughs> I was not going to... I mean, the first thing I thought was, I'm going this is, to... This is I'm going to win this game. Yeah. I mean, I'm going in here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for what he and I had worked so hard to develop. You know, you don't just throw away 13, 14 years for no reason. Yeah. I mean, and, and I said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to fight this out. And it wasn't without a great deal of anguish because when you're dealing with an addiction, which is what he had, once I figured out a little bit more about, you know, sexual addiction and what the pornography was doing, um, and I could watch the roller coaster ride all the time. I could look in his eyes and tell, you know, um, when it, it was a good day, when he liked me, when he was having an affair, when he was coming back to me, and it was just up and down. And all that commotion, it just it drove me to wanting to kill myself. And there were many times that, um, that I wanted, I tried to do that. And, um, and so anyway, besides that, 
it also drove me to, which is hard for me to believe because I always felt good about myself. Mm -hmm. And so that quickly, something that devastating and that news can bring you down that fast. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the course of watching Michael and him misbehaving, and listen, if you've ever dealt with an affair and, and you're a woman, you know that there are a lot of bad things that go on. There are, there are a lot of bad things that that person, those two people can do to you that can drive you crazy and that can make you... Your, your hatred is so strong. Even though you're Christian, your hatred is so strong, you know, because you're trying so hard to make things work. And I remember that he had acted out and did some bad things, he and her. And, and um, I was in the kitchen, and I was standing at the um, counter. And we have two boys, I remember. And, and I, they were on my mind a lot and just saving them and making things better. And I was looking in the kitchen drawer, and I pulled it open, and I knew it was my knife drawer, and I knew that all I had to do was grab a knife, take him out. It wouldn't take me very long because he was just a talking, and I knew I could get him. And, uh, <laughs> and so I thought, I'm going to grab this knife. I'm going to take him out right now, and everything will be over because the betrayal, the hurt of the betrayal, it was gut-wrenching, mm. you know, and it made me, it was making me ill, and I, I thought, I'm just going to take him out right here, and thank the Lord that God said, no, don't, you've got two children, you can work this out, don't do it, because I understand crimes of passion, yeah. I do, I do. Michael, um, let's rewind a little bit here, how did this whole relationship with pornography begin for you? You know, it, it goes back to when I was about 11 years old. The, the first time I was ever exposed to pornography, I was on a playground in yeah. school. Went to a private Christian school, actually. And um, some kids were kind of huddled around, snickering and looking at something and signaled me over. And I walked over and they said, hey, take a look. You know, I'm like, well, it's a playing card. And they're like, no, turn it over, stupid, you know. So I did. And um, there she was, you know. She was naked from the waist up. Um, first time I'd ever seen... Um, an image of a naked woman, and, and I remember my reaction was, you know, initially, I liked it. I mean, you know, there was something about me that was made biologically to be attracted to mm -hmm. that, and as a kid, it, it felt like adrenaline just rushing through my veins, mm -hmm. and, and so I was interested in it, but at the same time, I, was, I, was, I felt guilt and shame for looking at something. Maybe I, I shouldn't be looking at it. It wasn't like I was going to run home and say, you know, Mom, Dad, look what I yeah. learned at school today, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, because we just didn't talk about sex in our home. Yeah. Um, we, it was an uncomfortable topic. Uh, I could tell that from my parents, the way they responded to stuff that we saw on TV, the little bit of sexual imagery that was there the back then. So, so although that's a normal conversation, perhaps because we're sexual people, and, mm -hmm. and that's a part of who we are and how God's wired us, that wasn't a normal conversation in your home. Uh, it wasn't in ours, and, and I don't think for most people yeah. um, back then, or maybe even today. <laughs> yeah. But um, So at the time, what I did was I, I made a choice to keep it a secret yeah. uh, because of the shame and all. And um, But I, I liked what I saw, so I continued to go back to the material and over time, this was happening at a time when I had moved from Los Angeles my, with my family. I was the youngest of five, moved up to Spokane, Washington, which was leaving the, you know, 80-degree beaches and 32 below zero, two and a half feet of snow. And, you know, I was the new kid in school and, and really struggling and getting bullied and all that. So I just kind of gravitated towards that crowd um, for the acceptance that was there. And um, over time, through grade school and even through high school, um, pornography became a, a part of my kind of coping mechanism with the, you know, the stress that I felt as a kid growing yeah. up trying to fit in and um, eventually really started to form my sexual attitudes, beliefs, and, and influence my behaviors towards women and dating and yeah. um, all the way through college, really. 
So there was a progression that starts as this 11-year-old junior high, middle school-aged boy yeah. uh, with initial exposure. And then it's, it's, this is relationally, it just progresses. Mm -hmm. And uh, stuff happens, you run to it for self-soothing or whatever. And, exactly. And so all that stuff's taking place. Now, fast forward, here we are in college. You're mm -hmm. once again at a place where, from a curb appeal standpoint, you look successful. Yeah. Uh, you're student body president, college football team, all that stuff's going on. And, and this young lady comes into your life. Yeah, you know she's a Christian. She seems to be on the ball, and um, you guys start dating, and prog mm -hmm. it progresses towards engagement. Yeah, um, was there ever a moment, Michael, where you're like, you know what, this relationship's getting serious. I, I think I need to tell her mm, what's going no on. Way. <laughs> no way. No way. No way. I mean, Patty was wonderful. I was uh, I was really out kicking my coverage, even dating her. You know, it was uh -huh. like she was this beautiful Southern belle from. Savannah, Georgia, or lived in Atlanta at the time, and I was living in Seattle and executive with IBM at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really excited about the relationship that we were developing and all. <clears throat> and I, I think even back in college, as you know, my friends and I were all just kind of engaged in the pornographic culture on college campuses back then, not unlike today, that we all kind of felt like, you know, one day we're going to meet that woman of our dreams, and we don't need this stuff. I mean, this yeah. we'll put these things aside, and there's won't a really lot of be attracted to it, and, and she'll meet all my needs. There's couples here who so. may even be engaged, and, you know, they may be thinking, you know what, I'm getting ready to get married. It'll stop then. Yeah, yeah. And so that was, you know, by the time I met Patty, I mean, she was just so amazing. And, and so I, that was really kind of the attitude that I took. It's not a matter of, I don't need to tell her, because it's a moot point. It's going to be in the past, and you know, everything will work out great. Um, but but it, really, within, within the first year of our marriage, I was back looking at the material. Yeah. And, and even, even on our wedding night, yeah. um, on, on our wedding night, as we were hanging out with people in the lobby of the hotel, um, you know, I, I caught myself taking glances at some of the women that were, you know, in the, in the, in the wedding party. And, and, th and this is your wedding night. Yeah. Your bride exactly. and wife, all that mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. And you're... Yeah. Yeah, yeah the late. eyes are wandering and kind of looking, and, <laughs> and on the honeymoon, you know, sitting on the beach, watch, watching women walk by. I mean, I, by, you got to understand, by the time I met Patty, I'd already had a 10-year relationship with pornography. Yeah. I mean, this was something that I was turning to when I was stressed out, when I was bored, when I wanted to reward myself, and um, it, it had a bigger role in my life than I, than I thought at the time, yeah. so it wasn't a matter of just kind of laying it down. No, Michael, you're not the first guy on the planet to struggle with pornography or lust. Um, in fact, there's probably a lot of guys in this room, probably a lot of gals in this room who yeah. struggle with this in one manner or another. Um, not everybody takes that step to move towards an actual affair where there's someone with skin on. Yeah. Um, how did that happen? Well, um, it, you know, there was a theme that kind of took root in my life that, that I now use. It got, kind of got me in the bad place. And now I use it to try and get and, and stay healthy. And it's simply this, that what you feed grows and what you starve dies. Mm -hmm. And what was happening is in secret, even though people couldn't see it on the surface, they saw the, the student body president, the college football player, then the IBM executive and living in the big house in the suburbs and, you know, six-figure income and all that. You know, even my wife you know, that's what she thought of and that's what she saw when she saw me. But yeah. I had this secret part of my life that no one could see and I felt like I could manage it. You know, it was kind of, I guess it was my version of sin management. So it was, here, here's, my, here's my family life over here. Here's my mm -hmm. career, all that. And then yeah. over here, I got another compartment um, or another box that we talked about last week. Yeah. Uh, and that's my pornography box. Yeah, and what happened was for me, um, I kind of went, the, I did the fast track yeah. because I was in the technology industry. 
um, and I really had a, a long-term relationship established with this material, um, the porn industry and the technology industry started to merge together. They started to take advantage of the newer technologies coming out, and so by the time I was, by the time the internet um, was a, a business tool that we started using internally, long before people even knew what the internet was publicly, yeah. um, we were looking and trading material, we being people in the industry, that had an affinity for this. We were, we were so looking at this stuff early on. accessibility just skyrocketed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could access, of course, you couldn't do it from home because, you know, I mean, I don't even know the dial-up was really mainstream then, but, yeah. you know, we had ready access to it. Companies had no idea what employees were doing, and, and quite frankly, I was, you know, I had a big responsibility in the companies that I worked for in sales and, and sales management, but I was spending more and more time um, as I was feeding this thing, and it was growing yeah. to be a bigger part of my life, so that eventually it just was an escalation process. I'd look at certain images, certain genres of pornography, and then over time it wouldn't do it for me because it was linked to, to masturbation. It was, it was my mood-altering drug, yeah. and those two things together became so powerful that, you know, having sexual relations with Patty was, was like the, one of the last things on my mind. In fact, there were years where... You know, we had been intimate with each other maybe once or twice a year. I even remember a year when we, I don't think we had sex at all. And it was and Patty, really... Let me, let me just ask real quick, Patty, <laughs> as, a, as a young married woman, were you like, this is weird? We need oh, yeah. to talk about this? Well, I, yeah, because it was really kind of strange. And I was thinking about this earlier as we were mm -hmm. talking. Uh, even I, I was in a Bible study. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to the Bible study and I was with my Christian friends and they were like, yeah, you know, our sex life's good. And, all, and they were like, you know, talking about that. I was like, wow, they would die if I said yeah. once every six months, maybe. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, I wouldn't say anything. I just sat there like I was all cool and everything was great. But I knew that it wasn't right. Yeah. But I was, I was trusting and I was like, maybe this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. And you know, and Michael's I, over I here. He's getting was. his needs met over here with right. pornography, and here, right, mm -hmm. and left alone. Right, right, because I wasn't yeah. enough. I wasn't going to meet up to all those images. Now, you actually met this gal, Michael, through work, right? Well, yeah, I did. Um, eventually, like I said, the, this, the appetite for this material doesn't really ever get satisfied. Mm -hmm. So, um, as I continued to see more um, arousing and, and more extreme versions of what was available on pornography, eventually even that wasn't enough. And um, so I started to consider, I saw a lot of affair scenarios played out in porn, and I started to really fantasize that, and eventually one day a woman walked into my business, and she just was the epitome of everything that I had been fantasizing for years and years. Um, she had the, you know, the look, the hair color, the style, the, you know, even the bling bling car, everything, and <laughs> essentially she, you know, as I would learn later on, she was about as addicted as I was in her yeah. own rights through her own personal life, but I, I made a choice at that time that, uh, uh, that I was going to, you know, that I was going to kind of wander into this space, and I decided to, to have an affair to start, you know, becoming involved with this woman, and uh, again, tried to keep that secret as well, but that happened for about two and a half months leading up to Patty's and my So when did you actually hit rock bottom? When was it like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done? Yeah, it really wasn't until about a year after our divorce, believe it or not, um, my relationship with pornography had been going on for about 25 years yeah. leading up till then. It had become a bigger and bigger part slowly but surely. You know, what you feed grows and what you starve dies. I was feeding this thing. I was starving the real intimacy that I was having with, with Patty and, and just our, our intimacy, our relationship, not mm -hmm. even physical or sexual, but just she had no idea really who I was yeah. on the inside. 
And so um, by the time that I was really, truly addicted to this material for the last couple of those years, um, I, I was so involved with this woman that um, I just couldn't see what was going on around me. And I, couldn't, I didn't recognize that Patty had been brought to the brink of suicide. I didn't see that my boys were just crumbling before us. And, and we made a decision during that process where I wasn't willing to, to turn and go the other direction and leave this woman and be committed to my marriage and my family. And Patty couldn't do anything about it because she tried everything possible. Yeah. That that's when we made the decision to divorce. So it's about a year after that when, A, I, I noticed that Patty was really moving on, that she was done with me and she actually was In meeting so another. Yes, yeah, she was actually meeting another guy and right. that progressed yeah. and now you're married to that gentleman, right? Exactly. You know, so. guy, I, hated his guts. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, he ended up, it turned out that he was really a great guy and, and is a great guy, He's but, great guy. you know, he was where. He, he was where I was supposed to be. Yeah. And um, so when I could see that I had lost that, And uh, then, of course, I discovered that the woman that I had put in the position of, of uh, God in my life um, was seeing about five other married guys with kids. Yeah. You, you know, I, I kind of realized that I'd gotten, I'd gotten exactly, you know, what I was looking for. And I just remember waking up one day realizing, you know, I've lost everything. I lost the, the woman who you know, was my, my first love and yeah. built my family with me and lost my two boys, lost a business partnership with my brother. Um, so, so you go from, from the outside looking in, it, it looks like you've got everything, all the curb appeals yeah. there. Really, it was a facade. And you could have stopped at any moment along the way. And it wasn't until a year later that it was rock bottom and uh, we realized, oh my goodness, I've sowed this for this long and now... Yeah. I'm reaping what's been sowed in my life. And, and really the turnaround for me came when uh, I had just really been seeing the truth about me for mm -hmm. the first time. And uh, I, I didn't know how I was going to get through this. I didn't understand what sexual addiction was all about, but I felt like I was... really imprisoned by this. And so, you know, one day I um, thought about, uh, there was a voice in my head that was just saying, you know, I can take this pain away. That uh, you, don't, you don't have to feel this bad. All you have to do is just go buy a gun, stick it in your mouth and pull the trigger and you don't ever have to feel this anymore. And um, so I had planned it out and and uh, thought as far as, you know, where I'd buy the gun, where I'd lay down and everything. And when I started to um, think about what I would write on a suicide note to my boys, that's when I stopped. Yeah. I just thought, you know, I can't, I can't leave that kind of a legacy for my boys and for Patty. And so I chose life instead. And that was a, that was a good choice. It was a good choice. Yeah. And there were more good choices to come. Um, as you started moving into honesty and coming out of hiding, and you started getting into accountability. Um, and then um, we talked about just a moment ago here, um, mm -hmm. fleeing from sexual immorality, not giving that 
sin the opportunity to, to take hold in your heart. Um, you took a couple of measures there that a lot of guys in this room might be a little shocked over. It may seem drastic. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was drastic at the time, so I knew it had to be done. I didn't realize how drastic it was until a film crew from 2020 showed up and they wanted to, they wanted to take pictures of what, what was going on in my apartment. But I, I, I just I cut the cable on my TV and I, I got rid of my Physically. internet. Yeah. Physically cut the cable. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, I cut it and then I taped it up and then I untaped it and hooked it back up and then I cut it. <laughs> <laughs> that went on for about a year. Yeah. So. You know, eventually, I mean, that, that was a, you know, I know that's not where everyone's at, but, you know, I used to stay up late at night and wait until certain images would come on and it was just basic cable. I didn't have HBO or Showtime or anything, but it was enough. Those were things that would lead me into thinking about yeah. some of my acting out routines and rituals, which were part of my addiction. And I just knew that if I was going to survive, I had to take drastic measures. And mm -hmm. I started getting accountability um, with some guys, had regular conversations, went to counseling, got involved in sexual addiction recovery groups. I mean, I, I, I realized that this was a life and death thing, and, and I wanted my boys to, to have a healthy dad. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Now, in this conversation we've been having here with Bringing Sexy Back, we've, we've stirred the pot on this conversation, and uh, one thing that's been reflected back is when it comes to pornography, there are couples who, uh, it's quite a trend, that are bringing pornography into the bedroom. Um, and saying, hey, this is a moment for us to spice up our sex life, make it even better and more exciting. Does it work? Doesn't it work? Yeah. I, can I address that? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I was telling Mike, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. I felt like when I felt, found out that he was into pornography, because I felt so bad about myself, mm -hmm. you know, immediately I blamed myself for we're, us not working out. I'm not I'm, pretty enough. I'm yeah, not, right. Okay. I was not skinny enough. I didn't have big enough this or yeah. that. Um, I found myself thinking, well, I need to jump in the game because mm -hmm. if she represented and all those images represented what he was attracted to, then I needed to do what I needed to do to be that, Yeah. you know, and I found myself changing my lifestyle. You know, I went out and bought some of the clothes that this woman wore. I mean, you know, weird stuff like that. And then, um, I found myself thinking, you know, I need to go view some pornography because I need to know, I need to be more cutting edge, you know, I need to get in the game. And, um, you know, tried to get a movie one time, and the daggum thing went and cut on, thank goodness. But um, <laughs> I guess that was God's way of stopping that. And, yeah. But, you know, after a little bit of time with that, I knew it was not right. And that was so opposite of what I was about. You know, and if it was such a good thing to bring it into your bedroom and make things better, we wouldn't be having this conversation, and we probably wouldn't be divorced. Because people think, you're a sexual addict. Well, what a great addiction to have. Yeah. You right, must yeah. have a wonderful a sex life, yeah. right? That wasn't that. the case. No. And, wow. and the reality is, you know, it, it wouldn't have mattered even if we would have, you know, if Patty would have done those things. Um, it would have never been enough because this was an insatiable appetite for me. And, uh, you know, there were times where I was with the woman I was having an affair with, I was with Patty, and I was looking at porn all in the same day. Yeah. The, the appetite just never, it never gets uh, quenched. Patty, let's turn a corner here. For, for, uh, for the gals that are in this room who... Uh, in the last couple of weeks have discovered that their husband has been mm -hmm. hit in the porn site, uh, has a magazine stowed away somewhere, or even worse, perhaps, is having an affair. Mm -hmm. Or for the oh. guy who's discovered that about his wife. Mm -hmm. um, how do you navigate that conversation? What encouragement would you give that gal? Um, first of all, having an affair, whether you're a man or a woman, is absolutely devastating to that person. It is absolutely devastating. Um, it's just a, 
as I heard someone describe yesterday, it's a, a pit in your stomach that is so painful. You pray to God, you would rather be dead than to feel that. Mm. You would rather be dead. The first thing I would say, because you're going to be very, very angry, rightfully so, and you should be, is to face the problem, face the situation. Don't make out like it's not there and, oh, he'll get over it next week or he'll be finished with it tomorrow or maybe if I do this sexual thing, he'll be back with me and not mm -hmm. do that. Don't. you got to face the problem. Um, the second thing I would say is it's not um, that you need to get counseling. Okay, you definitely need to get counseling. And Michael even suggested for women to get a woman counselor, that it might be, you know, even easier mm -hmm. to, sure. to speak with them. So don't try and navigate it alone. Yeah, right, right. You need, definitely need some help. Um, that it's not your problem. Okay, it's his. It was his problem. And, it, you know, it's not about me. It wasn't that I wasn't good enough. He just had a problem and he needs to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so that woman needs to take the burden, or that man, for that fact, needs to take the burden off themselves and not blame themselves for what they're doing, which is what I did big time, because I didn't know what to do. We yeah. didn't have anybody to speak with about this. Yeah. So those would be some of the things that I would read. It's not about her or him. It is about their problem and their addiction. So getting married doesn't solve it. Um, having intercourse with whoever you're dating, you know, uh, that doesn't solve it. Um, you know, bringing pornography in the bedroom, that, that doesn't solve it. Um, looking backwards here for a moment, and this is a personal question, um, do you think that you could have navigated that moment differently? Um, you discover your husband's having an affair, you discover he's addicted to pornography, together, are there different steps you could have taken? Because there's couples in this room that are navigating this stuff, they're walking through this mm -hmm. stuff right now, and they need to know, can this work? Can, yes. can we not end up in divorce? Yes. Well, I think, yes. I think um, speaking from the standpoint, you know, a lot of people think, well, he's looking at it or she's doing this, so they must be addicted. Um, that's not always the case. Of course, you don't ever want to be on that path because that is at the destination end point. But um, without any kind of intervention. But the reality is, is I was an addicted individual. I needed someone to impose some boundaries on me um, because I wasn't willing to do that on my own. And um, you never, you can't ever force a person to hit bottom. Mm -hmm. That's just, I've, I've counseled people that are, you know, guys that are in their fifth marriage. And, you know, and that still isn't enough. Yeah. Um, for me, losing Patty, you know, having every, all this facade, everything just fall down and seeing the truth about me was enough for hitting bottom. So, um, maybe bringing those circumstances to bear earlier on. Right. We've talked about the fact mm -hmm. that I stayed, I was allowed to stay in the house for the first year um, before we got finally separated. And, and in that year, I did a lot of havoc and a lot of damage, as you've heard, you know, and with Patty and the boys. Uh, had I been, you know, a line been drawn in the sand and said, okay, we discovered this. First thing is you need to move out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then we're going to so deal with it because she deserves healthy recovery yeah. just like I deserve to deal with my own stuff without putting more of a load on her. Right. That might have happened. I don't know. Right. You know, Clear I don't know how I would have reacted. Clearer consequences at an earlier stage. Her. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. You right. know, that's one of the so. things. Um, Patty, on your side, are there some things you think that could have been handled differently? You know, I, got, I, that, I probably should have done that, but well, I had such a fight. Yeah, that way. probably would have helped. I had such a fighting spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I just was like, there's no way I'm giving up my home to somebody else. Mm. 
and to this problem. We mm. can work through this. Um, and, and, you know, because a lot of people kept telling me, you need to leave. You need to get out. Why are you doing that to yourself? And I just, I don't know. I just couldn't, I couldn't quit fighting until I think I just got tired. Yeah. I think I just got tired. I remember yeah. that. I was like, you know, I'm really tired. Yeah. I can't work this, man. I'm trying to work two people that are killing me hmm. and an addiction yeah. on top of that. I think, I, think I, I, think that, I think that one of the things also that would have really helped us was, and we didn't have the benefit of it as much then as I think you do now, there, there were very few people that really understood this. I mean, a lot of people put the blame on her, even people within the church, you know, were kind of looking at her like, well, there must be something wrong with you that he mm -hmm. was going and doing this. Yeah. But the reality is it had nothing to do with her, nothing. And, and it was my deal, it was my game that I was playing, and I think what's really important is if, you, if someone comes to you and they're, they're concerned because there's a problem or maybe a problem in their relationship with their husband or their wife, people really cannot face this alone. They really need to walk through this with someone, mm -hmm. whether that's a, a counselor they just stumble into or someone who's a, a friend just who's really going to love them through it and help yeah. them through it right. and realize yeah. that this is really, this is serious stuff. Mm -hmm. Last one. Um, there's people in this room who are thinking, is that really his ex-wife? Are they actually on stage together right now talking about this? Yes. No, we, we hired her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how are yeah. you able to do this? This is, this is ten, 10 years later. Yes. Yeah. How are you yeah. able to do this now? It, it definitely took God, in, you know, always being there. Um, and, and a lady asked me earlier, she said, you know, how long does it take? Mm. And it did take time. It didn't happen overnight because I was hurt. Yeah. And so were my children. And yeah. it took a it took several couple yeah. of years down the line before, you know, I could really just say, I've got to do this. And I had to do it for my children mm -hmm. mostly as well, because I wanted them to feel good about him as a dad, you know, teaching high school. I see children come in that are from broken homes yeah. and from homes that where there's so much chaos, it's ridiculous, and it shows in their behavior. And all I could think of was, I don't want my children to be in class. And those teachers go, you know, I feel so sorry for him. They got, he comes from a bad home and all that. And, um, I, and so I, I really did it for that. And I knew that I could never have another relationship with another man and it would be healthy if I, if I had bitterness in my heart. I couldn't have that bitterness. And I wouldn't have been a good teacher. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted my child to come in my classroom, uh, you know, into yeah. a lady's classroom that was mad and hateful, you know. So I knew that I needed to... To, to release that anger and to let him back in our lives in a healthy way. And his relationship yeah. with our kids is good. Yeah. I think an, another thing is, um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, it was interesting. We've been in the process of writing a book because of yeah. all the touring and speaking that, that I do and that Patty joins with me on sometimes. And, um, you know, just sharing our story with people. Going back, she, she was kind enough to share with me a journal that she kept through oh, wow. the, the darkest hours yeah. of our marriage. And I was just amazed as to how she never gave up on God. And she continued to, to trust God, even in the darkest times. Mm. And... Uh, when I had to take my journey alone and try to get my life, see if I had a life left, um, I ended up doing the same thing. Yeah. And I've read a lot of scripture, you know, over the last 10 years of recovery, but the one that just really fortifies me 
is um, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And I think when Patty and I independently came to this discovery, this realization that we're all born as sinners, that we all desperately need a Savior to forgive us, and that the truth about us is that we are all loved by God so incredibly and so intensely that he will take anything that happens in our lives, any situation, and he will love us through it and turn it for greater good. Um, God, to me, is a very alive God of restoration and reconciliation and the redemption that he's brought about in, in our relationship, even though we are divorced, and even though this maybe wasn't the trajectory or the plan that God had intended for us, shows me that I don't care what your situation is or how bad things are, there is always hope if you put your faith in God. Well, guys, thank you so very much for being here with us today and being courageous to tell your story. I applaud you. Thank you so much. Guys, pornography is far more than just a pastime. It is a pathway. And it will lead the men and the women and the people that they love most to a place they never wanted to be. And it requires a price far, far higher than probably any of us really want to pay. Let's pray. Father God, would you teach us to be a community who's courageous enough to come out of hiding with one another, a community that affords grace in one another's lives, yet truth to be able to speak honestly and encourage one another towards holiness. God, I believe you can take things that are messy and broken and turn them into something beautiful. That's the story of your scriptures. That's the story of redemption. And for the couples that are here at this very moment, who are teetering and they don't know which way this thing's going to go, God, would you please give them courage to run to you, to cling to you. In this moment, God, that you'd be their source of strength and encouragement. Father, would you help us who are afraid and scared to come out of hiding because we don't know what people are going to say or think or do. God, give us the courage to do that this morning because we'd rather move forward with you and move forward in honesty and with people that we love than continue doing damage. In Jesus' name.